Hello, friends. I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes. You're listening to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. It's our one of our last shows of this season as the season the playoffs are winding down. We only have four teams left to play, so uh, today we'll be reviewing the second round of playoffs, the four series there, and uh, counting down to later this week. There's a big gap, three days before the next Bucks get rolling, and uh, we'll talk about the two series coming up, the conference finals. So, AJ, I'll bring you on board. I, uh, I want to talk about the Leafs roster locker room cleanup that happened yesterday after they got eliminated on the weekend. Did you bother to watch something similar with the Penguins when they wound up their season a while back? Yeah, a little bit. I, I grabbed bits and pieces here. You know, for for the most part, uh, this is not always the case, but for the most part, I find a lot of these locker cleanup days are you get like two things, right? You get this guy explains what injury he's been playing through or what injury kept him out. And then you get the obligatory, usually like, yeah, I'd love to be back, but that's out of my hands. Kind of, you know, the every once in a while you get something a little bit more than that, but for the most part, uh, it's it's not uh, you know it's not that uh, not that intriguing sometimes. But every once in a while, you get something that's a little more uh, outlandish there. Well, there was a bit of a nugget in that way in Toronto yesterday. I don't know if you caught it, and I know you've been looking at the rumor mill and seeing about Kyle Dubas possibly wanting to leave Toronto and go to Pittsburgh. I know that was that's out there, but. Uh, I think I can pour some cold water on that this morning after what he said yesterday in a very, almost a very emotional uh, speak, uh, lecture that he gave when he was given the microphone. And and he went on and said, you know, this past year was hard on his family. He's a young family, no question. And uh, the rigors of being in a big market like Toronto, you're never out of the media very long here. And he was the subject of a lot of uh, consternation at points during the season. And I, and he revealed that uh, yesterday and he said, you know, I might like to take a break from, from being a GM. I'm not going to, if I don't work in Toronto this year, I'm not going to work anywhere is what he said. So uh, I don't know what the future holds for him, but it comes at a time when the Leafs situation is really murky. AJ, they've got their top four guys have come under fire because once again, the seventh straight year, they didn't advance past the second round. And I mean, they did win a series finally. So that was, a bit of progress, but the top four guys come under tremendous fire here. And there's a lot of speculation about what changes we made. The team president hasn't spoken yet, Brendan Shanahan, and he's going to come down with his thoughts in a couple of days. I guess he wanted to see how, how the other uh, talks were received yesterday. And he's going to have a couple of days to form his opinions and work with the upper management, the board here in Toronto, that's very intimately and actively involved. So, I think there's another shoe that may drop here, and and if I were Sheldon Keefe, I wouldn't. I would possibly be uh, starting to look at some real estate situations because he he's very vulnerable right now too, uh, despite the fact that he's had a nice run here with wins and losses in the regular season. But again, that playoff lack of playoff success dogging him. So there were some nuggets here in Toronto, and that's why I thought it, it was worth mentioning to compare notes with you. But uh, I don't know if the Leaf situation reached you at all, but. It was compelling viewing yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely uh, definitely pouring, as you said, pouring some cold water on that. Uh, he wouldn't necessarily go anywhere else. Of course, I would argue that the right financial package could persuade him otherwise. Um, you know, and look, I'll, I'll be totally blunt. Those comments don't sound that dissimilar from when 
uh, Phil Kessel left Toronto and talked about not want, you know, that being in the huge spotlight and it takes a toll on you and everything. They're, they're not dissimilar comments. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens here again. I would be thrilled, uh, if he came to Pittsburgh, it certainly doesn't sound encouraging as a Penguins fan, but you know, for all intents and purposes, Fenway sports group has a lot of money and, uh, could potentially pry him away, uh, from the Leafs or that, uh, that year of contemplation for the right financial package. Yeah. Money talks, you know, that old expression and, uh, we won't say the rest of it on the air, but in any case, AJ, we had four series to break down that, uh, wound up, uh, being, uh, series that you you had a pretty good run in in this round uh, like we talked about on off the air you got three of these series right i got two and uh, we'll go through all four of them and talk about our views on on how they all shook down but we'll be and we'll begin with the one that wound up last night i know we were on the show with anna uh, yesterday anna dua on DraftKings, and we had to come down with our thoughts on game seven and i was fortunate to be on the right side of it you guys picked seattle i had dallas and now a narrow win uh, one goal separating two clubs after seven games. AJ, why don't you lead us into your thoughts about uh, this whole series? I mean, yeah, it easily could have gone the other way. As you mentioned, that was the only, uh, both the first and the last game were the only one goal games in this series. Uh, Dallas, uh, I, I, you know, 2-1 is maybe a little bit misleading uh, when you consider that Dallas, you know, controlled most of the play. Uh, that that goal for Seattle came very late in the third period, uh, so a, a bit misleading on that. I think Dallas really controlled that game a lot. That um, and I I never really felt like it was terribly in doubt um, that Dallas was going to win that game once once they got that first goal. But uh, you know, easily a series that could have flipped the other way, uh, and, and just overall strong performance uh, by our, our newest uh, newest NHL club in, in Seattle. They had a great run. Um, they have a, a busy offseason ahead of them. I think I just saw today they've got like 10 draft picks this year, three of them in the second round. Uh, so they could potentially, you know, package those up, try and move back up into the first round and, and pick twice in the first round. So it'll be an interesting uh, draft for them, an interesting offseason to see how they handle it. But a uh, ton of success, good run for them. And then obviously Dallas gets their their win and is moving on. Yeah, we can look at Seattle's offense in this series and highlight some players that had a very nice playoff. Four guys got over into double digits in scoring, including one defenseman. I know you were high on Justin Schultz. Uh, he's had a great playoff, 10 points plus five on the ledger, only shielded to only less than 16 minutes per game. I wonder, yeah, maybe... Is that because he's an older player, AJ, you think? They cut his, his work down, but uh, I was surprised by that when I saw that. Yeah, I mean, I would think at this point in his career, Schultz is probably operating a bit as like a power play specialist for them. Uh, so third pairing, doesn't get a ton of minutes, but then he's out there uh, for those power plays. So yeah, yeah so. just late stage of his, you know, later stage of his career right now. Well, to, to your point, three points of his 10 on the power play and a uh, real factor when they had the extra man, obviously. And uh, then he was surrounded by some talent up front that did well in the playoffs too. Jaden Schwartz with 10 points, 
Jordan Eberle had a very nice playoff with 11 points. I got a lot of time for him. I think he has very high hockey IQ, AJ, and I've said that about him for years. And leading the pack was Yanni Gourd, a guy who had 13 points and was playing upwards of 19 minutes per game. They had a lot of guys, 18, 19 minutes. The workhorse on the blue line, Vince Dunn, 23 minutes per game. This is a young guy that St. Louis probably wishes they could have held on to somehow because he is a guy that's going to be a key part of this uh, Seattle franchise for years. Matty Beneers completing a rookie season that might see him, might well see him get the Rookie of the Year award in a couple of weeks. Seven points in 14 playoff games for him, and a fine first season comes to a close. Ty Carty was an interesting addition late in the season, AJ. He had 10 playoff appearances. They played 14 games in total. He had a nice run with three goals and two assists. Figures to be a part of this team, uh, key part of this team next year. So that was kind of found money at the postseason. They were kind of limited, too, with Jared McCann only being able to play eight games after a 40-goal regular season. That was something that uh, hampered them in the postseason a little bit. So the, despite a couple of injuries and uh, situations, they did give a really good account of themselves. Philip Grubauer was a workhorse in net and had a fine playoff. The goals against a tick under three per game and uh, save percentage around 90%, uh, decent numbers, and uh, a good season for him. Overtaking Marty Jones, who uh, kind of fell by the wayside after carrying this team for the first half of the year. Grubauer did it in the second half, so that tandem uh, served them well, a veteran pairing there. For the Dallas club, of course, you know, I'm surprised that you didn't mention Joe Pavelski, one of the leaders of his fan club, buddy. He had a nice Well, playoff. I figured we'd talk about that when we get to, you know, their, their yeah. next round matchup. <laughs> he, he was limited to only eight games in the in the playoffs so far, and he's got eight goals and two assists. A nice run. And I, I think if he plays regularly, he should be in the conversation for the playoff MVP the way he's going right now. Only Rupe Hintz has more goals than him, and Hintz, in fact, is leading scorer in the playoffs with 19 points overall, seven clear of Jason Robertson. And interesting note for me is Jason Robertson was their leading goal scorer, leading point getter on the regular season, had 10 assists, but only two goals, AJ. I was surprised by that considering he still had a whopping 37 shots on goal in the 13 games played, three, almost three a game. So uh, the, the scoring was spread out. They had a handful of guys, three, four, five goals uh, so far in the playoffs. Wyatt Johnson, the decisive marker last night, of course, one of his four goals. Mason Marchman, the guy that I would admit that the Leafs have still not replaced him in their lineup. Uh, toughness in the bottom six, and the guy that can score, had six points for them. Miro Heiskanen uh, has come in for some accolades, AJ, with nine points uh, to date in the, in the playoffs and anchoring their defense, playing 28 minutes a game so far in this postseason that's the highest mark i've seen among any of the skaters i'll say and behind them all jamie alexiak uh jamie jake jamie Alex, jake ottinger rather he is a guy that anchored the net situation scott wedgwood only played a couple of appearances so ottinger is certainly the go-to guy and i think aj for my money the best goalie that remains in in the playoffs when we get to the next series we'll talk about that but so far you're a hater paul you're you're freddie anderson hater <laughs> so 275 goals against average 90 percent to save percentage and uh a key element to the, the dallas situation their defensive structure we talked about it for years partner but and now they've got an offense to match so they really are a threat going forward and uh, they they to my mind, they were uh, worthy winners of this set, but it could have gone. It was a coin flip by the end of the day, and that's credit to the most recent expansion club that uh, gave a really good account of themselves. The Vegas-Edmonton series, AJ, six games, 
we both were on the right side of this equation. You had the game, the game total right on the button here. I had it going seven games. Uh, what what was it that turned the series for you in Vegas' favor? Um, you know, I think it was uh, it was game five. Really, you know, you look at the early ones. Vegas wins game one. Edmonton kind of a blowout victory in game two. You get the reverse in game three. Vegas comes out with the blowout. Like everyone was kind of high scoring blowouts, but it was that that game five, a little more tighter contested, four three win for Vegas. And I just felt like something had turned for them at that point. Uh, Aiden Hill looking really solid in the Nets uh, after having uh, been been pressed into service there. And I felt fairly confident heading into game six that Vegas was going to close that one out. And they did so. Uh, the the you know it's it's the same storyline. We've literally said the same storyline for about the eight years we've been doing this show. Paul is that Edmonton doesn't have goaltending. It's just a continuing problem. We thought you know we thought maybe it was fixed uh, originally when Stuart Skinner kind of came up. He looked okay for a little while. His numbers in the postseason were underwhelming. They brought in Jack Campbell. We thought okay maybe this works for them. Uh, he had some some good, not perfect, but some good outings and stuff in, in Toronto that, that you saw. That hasn't worked out either. I mean, you know, it's really uh, just the same old story. Now, should you be able to expect Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to score more than two goals playing at home in a game six? Absolutely. Uh, I would have expected more offense out of them in that game. So uh, credit to Aiden Hill and the Vegas defense on that one. But uh yeah, I just think uh, after that game five, I, I was pretty confident that, that my my pick was going through and that this was going to end after game uh, after game six. I felt very, very positive in that uh, mindset. Well, to me, it was a tale where where Edmonton's flaws were exposed. And we saw that with all the losing teams in this round the series, except for Seattle, because they won seven games. But the losing teams really revealed their flaws in, in this round. And Edmonton's, to me, was a lack of defensive posture. Uh, they, they certainly have all the offense you want among their top six forwards and a couple of puck, good puck-moving defensemen, but uh, too many others just hampered their defensive structure, in my opinion, echoing your sentiments about the lack of goal, quality goaltending. I think they were set up to fail because of that lack of def- defensive structure overall that Edmonton has. And let's face it, Vegas, much deeper roster, much more balanced roster. And it was a bit of a coming out party for Jack Eichel, AJ, that is bears mentioning. He was the second pick in the draft behind Connor McDavid. And I'm not saying that, you know, his build is one versus two, but I'm just thinking that he probably took great pleasure in uh, imposing his will on this series and really being a decisive factor for Vegas when all is said and done. He's led the Vegas club in postseason scoring with 14 points in 11 games to date, playing up almost a tick under 20 minutes per game and really being a factor on the power play with three goals and two helpers. And right behind him, Mark Stone, two goals and one helper on the power play, a dynamic postseason for that unit. And he was second on the team in scoring with 12 points. So the big guys showed up. And, uh, of course, their Swiss Army knife, Chandler Stevenson, uh, a big factor as well with six goals and four helpers. Jonathan Marchstall with a hat trick uh, late in that series to be the uh, big factor in a decisive game, uh, 10 points overall. And uh, 
they, they acquired players from all over the place in the last couple of years and drafted well, and they really set them all up, themselves up for a strong postseason with this depth that they have. Even Michael Amadio, AJ, this guy struggled to be a fourth-line player in Los Angeles and Toronto, but he's found a home in, L- in Vegas and uh, contributed as well with five points. So they're getting production up and down this roster, and that's really what you need is not even not just the primary scoring but the secondary scoring in place. I mean, but if you had to tell me a goaltending team of Aiden, Aiden Hill and Laurent Brassois would carry this team through two rounds of the playoffs, I'd have argued to the death with anybody. But uh, the fact of the matter is they've done their job. Look at Aiden Hill's numbers too, AJ. 2.2 goals against average, 93% save percentage. If you didn't see his name there, you'd think that's a great bit of goaltending from a quality goalie. Well, maybe he is, and, and this is his coming out party too, so... You need that secondary scoring. You need surprising contributions from all over your roster, and they certainly have gotten it through two rounds. And uh, I, I don't think it was much of a surprise that they emerged. They're more of a complete team than the Oilers uh, ever purported to be, and that's led some. That will lead to some off-season questions in uh, Alberta to see how they address what's missing in this lineup. AJ, Carolina, New Jersey. It was a five-game set, partner, and uh, you had it in six. I had Jersey winning this series in six games, so I was way off. Tell me why it went down the way that it did. Uh, I mean, you're. I, I, I alluded to it off the top, Freddie Anderson. I mean, you look uh, look at the numbers for, for Anderson in the postseason, five wins in six games. He did get the hook in one. Um so one poor outing, but his save percentage nine three one. That's top. You know the only one better that's that's played a few games here is Aiden Hill. One point eight zero is the goals against average. That's the best uh, of of anybody here. And so they got really good goaltending out of him. They've gotten offense uh, galore as well. I mean, you look at this series overall and. 5-1, 6-1, again in game four. Um, even in the loss in game three, they, they scored four in that one. A little bit tighter game five contests. They had to go to overtime in that one. But they've just been uh, combining the right things. This is a really deep team. New Jersey, other than the eight-game explosion in game three, could not get their offense going in this one. And so, yeah, this is just a really hard matchup uh, for pretty much anybody. I would not be uh, too disappointed if if I were uh, the New Jersey Devils fans. You know, this is a young team that's starting to come together, um, looking really good. I would imagine they're going to be a playoff contender pretty much every year here going forward. They're you know they're not perfect. There's some deficiencies. They've got a lot of decisions. It's going to be a tough off season for them between uh, you know Jasper Bratt, Timo Meyer. Uh, Igor Sharangovich, all of whom are RFAs. Then you add in Thomas Tatar, Miles Wood, Eric Halla on the UFA front, not to mention Damon Severson as well. So they've got some questions to answer. Um, goaltending is a question as well. You know, is Mackenzie Blackwood really back? But all things are looking up, I think, for the New Jersey Devils, despite uh, losing in this one. Uh, they just ran into a buzzsaw team of, of Carolina, in my opinion. Yeah, no question. Carolina mirrored the, the process that was used by the other team that emerged from the Eastern quarterfinals. We'll get to them in a sec. I, I thought that there were their suffocating checking really wore the Devils down. And you mentioned a lot of a- accurate points on the New Jersey situation. I would certainly feel very positive about their future. 
I, I only am concerned about the lack of productivity they got from Timo Meyer, and I wonder if they'll be able to hold on to him in their salary cap structure. He's a guy that should be an explosive scorer for this squad, and they have a couple other guys that, that are touted in that regard to play the center position here. Jack Hughes, foremost among them, but certainly uh, not the only one, Nico Heischer. That's where they build the rest of this team around. Uh, those two excellent players, Jesper Brad emerging as a quality winger. So they have some nice pieces up front. They have some mobile defensemen, Dougie Hamilton leading that pack. And a three-headed monster in goal. You alluded to the fact that Mackenzie Blackwood didn't even figure into the postseason. And at the beginning of the year, he would maybe was their number one. Vitek Vanacek had an outstanding year, uh, not so much in the playoffs. He, was, uh, he had a bloated 4.63 goals against average. And he seeded his, the, the crease to Akira Schmidt who really came out and did very well in the postseason, AJ, to the tune of a 235 goals against and a 921 save percentage. Excellent numbers for the youngster who will challenge them. And that's a healthy situation here in New Jersey with a lot of talent that will vie for, for key roles again next year. But Carolina, AJ, to me, they are one of the surprises of the postseason. I don't know how they got here while they're missing three of their top nine, top six forwards, you can even say. Toivo Teravainen, may be healthy for the next round, but I have to give uh, take my hat off to this team that has uh, risen above uh, some uh, injury situations that would have crippled most other teams in this postseason. And you look at the the passengers, uh, there weren't too many guys that took a back seat here. They all contributed. They had uh, no fewer than 10 players that have got at least six points in the first two rounds of the playoffs. That's outstanding balance and and. It's not just forwards. They've got Brett Burns, Brett Pesci, and Jacob Slavin in that situation. And that's a key going forward because uh, I know that we'll talk about Florida in a second. Both these teams that emerge in the East, I said they they really thrived on a strong forechecking system. And the way to combat that is have fluid skating uh, players on the back end who will get that first pass out. And those three guys, Pesci, Slavin, and, and Burns certainly did that in this series, and they've done it throughout the playoffs. Brent Burns leading the pack with 23 and a half minutes of ice time per game and Pesci and Slavin right there with 22 and 21. So you can see where the strength of this team is. You were certainly celebrating uh, uh, Freddie Anderson. I have a soft spot for him uh, too, obviously, but I think this defense really took a lot of heat off him. And I wonder if, if uh, we explore the goals, the shots uh, on Freddie, you know, he, he had a goals against average that was, 1.8, but the nine and the save percentage 93%, but only 134 shots on goal in six appearances. So that's just a shade over 22, 23 per game. And I know he was pulled in one of them, so you can round it up to like 25. That's pretty nice uh, to be well below the 30 shot mark. So a big key in going forward was limiting the, the Jersey defense, the offense to fewer shots on goal they were used to getting in the regular season. And Cal, uh, Carolina really rolled in this set. So no surprise uh, to you. You almost got this right on. You called Carolina in six. I was way off saying Jersey in six, thinking the upstarts would take care of a depleted roster. And uh, that was the wrong call simply. The final series, AJ, Toronto and Florida, a surprising result for me. I don't know if you really felt in your heart of hearts that Florida was the better team at the outset of the series, but they certainly were by the end, and you picked them in seven games. I think that was more a shot against me. You didn't you didn't want to pick the Leafs just to spike me, but you wound up being right. Tell I know me what you're talking about, Paul. Right pick is the right pick. Uh, 
Tell me your th- thoughts on the series. Yeah. Well, my thoughts on the series are two goals. Every yeah. single game, the Leafs got two goals. Yeah. You're not going to win a lot of games uh, if, if that's all you're getting. Because then you're relying on your netminder to only give up one. And that's a tough ask against any team in today's NHL. Uh, I, you know, I'm sure you have a lot to say about the offensive side. I'm going to give a lot of that credit to Florida and Sergei Bobrovsky. You know, you look at games three and four, they limited the shots, just 24 shots in game three, 25 shots in game four. Uh, they brought the heat in game five, 52 shots faced by Sergei Bobrovsky yeah. and still just gave out two of them. So I AJ, a lot of- let, AJ, let me interrupt you on the talk of Bobrovsky. I got to get your reaction because we've talked about this guy not in glowing terms for much of the history of this entire show. <laughs> we, we saw a brand new Sergei Bobrovsky from my eyes. He was worth every penny of the $10 million that he's being paid in this series and against Boston as well. But in this series, you really shone. Did you see that coming? I mean, there, there were glimpses of it in the, the, uh, the leave or the, uh, the Boston series, you know, but there wasn't anything, you know, he gave up three goals, five goals, three goals, and, and had some offensive help in the last three games against Boston. Um, so there, there were some glimpses of some of that athleticism, but he definitely upped his game for this series against Toronto. No question about it. Um, you know, regular season numbers that we talk about it, 20, just 24 wins. Um, you know, that's, that's not great for how much he makes. You expect him to be in the 35, 40. That's where he was in Columbus playing 65 plus games again, where he was in Columbus and what earned him this $10 million deal. That hasn't been the regular season, Bob, that we've seen now in this series. That's your $10 million goaltender right there. Absolutely agree, Paul. Yeah. And and then the other thing for me, AJ, the suffocating forecheck of Florida, they met the Leaf defense at the Leaf goal line so many times in this series. So it was hard for the Leafs to get their breakout going with that kind of full court press, if you will, that Florida employed. And it was because the Leafs defense was exposed, AJ, as being very, very slow with the exception of Morgan Riley, I would say, who was had an outstanding playoff for the for the buds, but it was the three-headed monster of, of Florida that, that didn't allow the Leafs the same opportunity, and that was very similar to what Carolina employed with Aaron Eckblad, Gustav Forsling, and Brandon Montour leading rushes very simply, very easily out of their end where the Leafs just couldn't muster anything. And so that, to me, was a telltale sign in this set. But if you would have said that the Leafs would have shut out uh, Matthew Tuchuk and... And Alexander Barkov, neither one of them scored a goal in that series in the five games. And despite that, Florida won this thing going away. I mean, they won two games in overtime. They were all close affairs. But there were a lot of signs that uh, even in retrospect, you pointed out and going, how the heck did the Leafs lose this series? Well, Bobrovsky was a central figure, no question, maybe the MVP of this set. But again, this is a team that got a lot of production from the depth part of their roster. Nick Cousins embodying that with the, the series winning goals, six points total in the series. Sam Reinhardt emerges something of villain, but six goals and eight points in his playoffs so far. And uh, Carter Verhage uh, found money for me in, in Florida the last couple of years at 12 points, five goals, and really the top sniper on this squad. So uh, a lot of good things going for the Florida Panthers in this set. The Maple Leafs, AJ, they were dogged by the fact that the core four, as we call their 
their offensive pieces. They had an outstanding series against Tampa, but they went pretty much MIA in this set as Marner, Matthews, Nylander, and Tavares really didn't play much of a role. Nylander may have been the best of the four, but uh, and Marner had one good game, but uh, Tavares and Matthews, not too much at all. No goals between them in this set, and that was a telltale sign for me. So in the end, you got it right, and I got it wrong. You went three and one in this, this set of games. I went two and two. The totals that we had after two rounds, seven and five for me, five and seven for you. So you can still catch me. You got to get the next three right, and I got to get them all wrong. Though. So tall task for you. And I, I, I should have to I, just pick against you then for the he, chance, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's the feeling that we might might have going into this. But hey, I'll make you of, pick first every time. Then <laughs> there were a lot there were a lot of upsets though in these playoffs, and I don't know too many people that got more than many more than the, the total games that and teams that uh, we picked as the winners. So uh, I don't I don't feel too bad about it. I don't think you should either. But uh, AJ, we got four teams advancing to the next round. And uh, let's take a pause here to give our sponsors some airtime. We'll return and preview those two conference final series. You're listening to RotoWire's podcast, The Statsman and AJ. We'll be back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply right after these messages.
right, partner, we're back. And uh, we want to give our listeners a chance to be reminded that we still want to take any questions that may, they may have over the remaining part of the playoffs and so maybe betting advice. We give that out on the DraftKings show every, every day that we appear on, on that uh, sweat program that they run in the morning around 11 o'clock Eastern, uh, 10 o'clock Central. Uh, across the, across their network, we're featured every day except Tuesday, giving our thoughts on the daily games and the schedule. Of course, there won't be games played until Thursday. So if you've got some thoughts about where you want to put some money down, why not reach out to us? AJ, tell our listeners how. Yeah, absolutely. We can be, uh, you can find us over on Twitter at AJ Scholes24 for uh, myself at Statsman22 to get a hold of Paul there. Yeah, we love interacting with you, and uh, you can see us chirping each other uh, during these playoffs. There might have been a tweet or two of mine headed Paul's way during that uh, Leafs series. So, yeah, always fun. Um, it, you know, we keep it we keep it fun, keep it fresh on there. But if you have any questions about anything, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we'd be happy to discuss uh, any variety of sporting topics with you. And with that, AJ, we got two series to preview in this round. Uh, we've got Vegas and Dallas in that set. And I, I see on the regular season, there were three games played between these clubs. Two of them went to shootouts, Dallas winning both, and then Dallas winning a shutout 4 nothing in the third game. So they took the measure of Vegas in the regular season. But that uh, seems a, lot, a lifetime ago. And uh, now we get to talk about the breaking down the teams from the point of view of the goaltending, defense, and forwards. And I'll give you the choice which team you want to go through uh, from the goaltending and defense, first of all, and then we'll wind up with the forwards. Well, if you're watching us over on uh, Rotowire's Facebook page or through uh, my Twitter account or the Rotowire Twitter account, you will see that I'm sporting a Golden Knights Mark andre Fleury jersey. So I will break down the the Knights side of the uh, the equation here a little uh, prelude to what I'm thinking here. You know, as, as we talked about, this is a really, really deep, uh, deep team. You know, Phil Kessel has been a scratch for several weeks now. Um, so they, they've got some options. There's there's obviously questions in goal. Laurent Brossois, um getting hurt the last three games. That's not going to help their chances, although Aiden Hill has stepped up admirably. They do still have Jonathan Quick uh, if if they feel like they need him. Uh, Logan Thompson hasn't uh, started skating yet, so probably not going to be a factor here in terms of the net mining. So I would expect we'll see Hill in game one. It, it worked, obviously, in the previous series. Why mess with that? But if he has a tough outing, uh, obviously Quick is there waiting. In terms of what the line combinations look like right now, we've got Ivan Barbashev with Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marchessault on the first line, Riley Smith, William Carlson, Nicholas Waugh, on the second line, and then Chandler Stephenson, Mark Stone, and Brett Howden on the third line. I would say that's probably a 2B. Um, you know, they're, they're obviously Mark Stone is putting up tremendous numbers uh, since returning and, and being their, their postseason addition here. Uh, 12 points, 11 games, five goals, three power play points over that stretch. Uh, so I would expect, you know, to continue to see uh, plenty of uh, plenty of him in that third line in this group. They're, they're a very deep team on the back end. You've got Alec Martinez with Alex Petrangelo, Brain McNabb, Shea Theodore um, as, as the top four here. Really a good offensive group of, of defensemen that are capable of generating some points. 
you know, not not anywhere near like some of the other teams we've seen. But Petrangelo, he's got seven help helpers. Shea Theodore's got five. Uh, neither one has a goal, but you know you're not really normally asking your defenseman to score a lot. It's kind of a, a bonus if they are. So I really like this team. I think they look really good. They're really deep uh, to be able to have a guy like Phil Kessel that you can toss in if, if they need him here at some point uh, helps them out. I think it would help their power play as well if, if they need him. So this is a good team. The maybe biggest question is probably the net minding. Um, but you know, so far so good with Aiden Hill, um, and and we'll see what uh, what goes from there. So that's how I see the Vegas Golden Knights. Paul, I'll let you run through the Dallas Stars. Yeah, once I do that, though, I want to circle back to what you think might be the decisive part of the series when we make our series picks. I think Dallas, the Vegas offense, like you said, is maybe the deepest one that we have on the four remaining teams. That's their biggest edge. But you also pointed out maybe they have the weakest goaltending situation with Hill and Quick looking like the guys that will carry the mail the rest of the way and uh, neither one of them uh, listed in the top 10 goalies in my mind anyway in the regular season by a long shot so definitely a weak spot there but the offense definitely a a hot spot and uh, on the flip side we look at the Dallas club it's it's finally they found a way this season to uh, match a very good offense with a very stout defense, and that's, that's that combination of factors is is making them a team that I really like in, in the playoffs right now. As they found a way to stretch their roster, they they did so by tinkering with their their lines all season long and settling on the fact that they have Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, and Rupe Hints, the most dynamic line in the league much of this season. With apologies to the Boston trio that was broken up at, uh, earlier on, uh, but. Uh, Jason Robertson has had a bit of a quiet playoff, and I think it's time for him to assert himself, AJ. And that's one guy that I got a real focus on in this set. Pavelski's had an outstanding playoff run. Rupi Hintz, I told, I said already, he's leading the playoffs in scoring, so that's how good their offense has been. And uh, when I look at the second line here, I, I focus on Max Domi, and I think, why didn't Toronto go after this guy? He's been nothing but an excellent soldier and has emerged as a very key part of this offense. Uh, holding down the second line center position, which was a bit of a black hole for this club. They certainly have found that. And that's given them the opportunity to put Tyler Sagan on the wing on the second line where he too has thrived. And I already mentioned how Mason Marshman has been a real menace uh, for the opponents that face him on a nightly basis. And he has the ability to put the puck in the net as well. So uh, good old school power forward there rounding up the top six, but then they got a lot of miles out of the third line, Jamie Ben. And Wyatt Johnson factoring in with a lot of offense, and Evgeny Dodonov has certainly got that ability too. So three solid forward lines here as well. Then from there, it's a very tough checking line on the fourth unit. Radev Faxa centering Luke Lindenning and Joel Kedaranta uh, that makes this also a formidable and deep offense. I, I would still give Vegas a slight edge, but very, very slight over the quality that I see in the Dallas lineup. And it's a credit to Sagan and Ben who have accepted lesser roles and anchored the second and third lines respectively that have gone a a long way to extending the offense that I see out of Dallas. On the back end, certainly the linchpin is Miro Heiskanen, uh, Ryan Suter pairing with him and uh, a little long in the tooth, but still a factor there and good enough to play first pairing minutes for this club. It gets a little weaker there. I don't think they measure up with the the Vegas defense by a long shot. Colin Miller and Essa Lindell, Lindell primarily defensive 
minded second pairing guy gives Miller a little bit insulation as a guy who has more offensive skill. Thomas Harley and Joel Hanley, neither one of them going to get too many all-star votes any year in their careers, but certainly decent enough to give them a respectable look on that third pairing. But again, I think it's a bit of a far cry. I think the big check mark goes to Vegas in that category. The big check mark for Dallas, though, is in goal, and that's Jake Ottinger. I already said, AJ, for my money, the best goalie that remains in this postseason, and I don't think we've seen the best of him. And I think he, he has the opportunity to turn it up a notch and could play a real key role in giving Dallas a critical advantage at a very key position. That said, I'm going to take it, turn it over to you and say, what do you see in terms of the key matchups here? Uh, do you give check marks one side or another? And where is ultimately your pick going to go? Yeah, I think, you know, you're, I, you're right to say that the goaltending favors Dallas. Absolutely. Uh, we did see Ottinger get chased uh, twice. And so I yeah. think that's, I mean, that's the key. Um, it, you got to try and get a couple goals in on him early, a couple bunches, get him out of the crease. Um, you know, the, the Scott Wedgwood is not necessarily going to carry a team back to victory in a, in a come behind, come from behind situation. So um, get after Ottinger early, get in front of him, screens, obviously. Um, so, yeah, that's probably key number one. Uh, one of Vegas's biggest strengths, I think, is their depth. That's a little bit neutralized here. Dallas does have a really good third line to kind of match up as well. Um, so I think it's about the defenseman, as you pointed out, again, Vegas with the edge in that one. So uh, all that coming together, I think this is a really good Golden Knights team. It's a really deep Golden Knights team, and I think they can get it through it here. I'm going to take them. Uh, in in six here, I, I like the Golden Knights. They, they've looked really good in the previous series. So Vegas in six for me. And uh, AJ, I I tip my hand with how much I feel the goaltending is going to be a big factor in this series. I think and and leaning on Dallas a little bit in that regard. I don't think there's much of a difference in terms of the quality and on offense. And I think Dallas has an opportunity with their top three guys to really explode in this series and be a key factor. Their power play should be a key factor in this set as well, with uh, Heisken and uh, the back end playing a, a pivotal role there too as the quarterback. And I, I just like the makeup of this team. I think they're a team that I won't say of destiny, but certainly that, that doesn't have too many flaws. I think they're a little bit weaker on defense than, than I'd like to see, uh, certainly compared to Vegas. But I'm going to give Dallas the, the Duke in six games. That takes us to the Eastern Conference, AJ. I'll let you lead into that series. Yeah, so we've got uh, Carolina and Florida here. Uh, during the regular season, Carolina took uh, two of two of the games. Florida uh, obviously getting the other one here. So a, a really good matchup of teams uh, that have played really well. They're going to be well-rested in that first game. So I don't know if we should expect – really good hockey or really bad hockey in that first game, Paul, because uh, they're going to have some time off between having to wait for the, the Western Conference to wrap up. Now we're not starting up until till Thursday, so uh, they're, they're going to have some days off. Uh, I think that benefits Carolina, and, and I'll go into why and, and run through them. Uh, the longer it takes for this series to start, the more likely we're going to see two Voterevain and back in action for them. He's been sidelined. Uh, with that hand injury uh, since game two against the Islanders, uh, admittedly very quiet in the lead up to that um, 
The end of the regular season was not favorable for him. He has just one assist in his last nine appearances going back into the regular season here. Um, but it's still a guy that had 36 points in 68 games. I don't think there's a way to avoid calling it a down year for him when you consider last year, 65 points, 31 power play points. His, his production with the man advantage has also dipped this year, just 11. Um, so, yeah, a, a difficult year for Teravainen, but to add a player of his caliber uh, to their lineup, you know, I'm going to guess that they will probably – jump him into the first line. We haven't really seen line combinations with him in there yet, but I would expect we'll see Tara Vinen with Ajo and Jarvis, which means Stefan Nosen will get uh, knocked down. Uh, where remains to be seen. We'll uh, have, I think they'll keep the second line together, which is Martinuk, Kotkanemi, and Jasper Fast. Jack Drury could be the odd man out on this third line, playing with Jordan Stahl and Martin Nekash. Uh, and then fourth line, we've got Paul Stastny, Derek Stepan, Mackenzie McEachern, Stefan Nosen could also fill in there depending on what they want to do with Drury. So uh, keep an eye on that over the next couple of days, see if we can get some updated line combinations. They've obviously got Jesse Pujarvi waiting in the wings as well for another opportunity to get back in the lineup. I like their forward depth. The fact that you're talking about Teravainen coming back spreads the wealth here a little bit for them they could opt to put him in a third line, let him kind of run with stall in, in a third line role. Uh, the center depth on this team is just nuts. Sebastian Ajo, Jesper Kotkanemi, and then Jordan Stahl as your third center and Paul Stastny as your fourth. Uh, that's, that's a hard matchup across the board. Defensively, you've got Brent Burns, who's having a phenomenal postseason. Uh, really seems to be enjoying his time in, in Carolina after years in San Jose. He pairs up with Jake and Slavin. You've got Brady Skade with Brett Pesci, Shane Gostas Bear uh, with either Jalen Chatfield or Calvin DeHaan, two different options there. Gostas Bear, we talked very highly about him at, at certain points of the season, seemed to have kind of shaken off whatever funk he picked up in Arizona. Uh, ended a bit of a slump, didn't start real strong in the postseason, but did have three helpers in these five games with New Jersey. If his offense starts going, that's really going to help uh, Carolina here, so they're not as dependent on Brent Burns for production. I've already talked glowingly about Freddie Anderson and his numbers, so I won't run through that again. I don't see any reason that he won't get the workload. Uh, and obviously, they're willing to go back to him after that bad outing in, in game three. So I would imagine he's earned himself some leash. If he does put out a stinker against Florida, um, I think he's earned a, the opportunity to kind of play through that because he showed it in the last round. So uh, those are the Carolina Hurricanes as I see them. But again, uh, the big question is where does Teravainen fit in uh, in the depth chart for them? And, and we'll have to wait and see how that shakes up. Yeah, AJ, we didn't talk about the coaching matchup in the first round. Pete DeBoer uh, on one side and then the former Boston coach, whose name eludes me for a moment. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm also blanking on blank. But anyway, <laughs> Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy. And, and so both of those guys were top, among the top candidates for a coach of the year, in my estimation. DeBoer actually had an interesting record, AJ, that was brought to light last night. 7-0 and in, in a Game 7 situation. So if it goes seven games, you might want to look at, at that prop bet if it does come up. But on the, on the other side, it's teacher versus pupil when you consider 
Paul Maurice was the coach for Carolina when Rod Brindamore was their captain. And now they're on uh, the back of opposing benches. It's going to be an interesting backdrop to this whole series. And for my money, Brindamore is is a coach that I would really love to play for. He just seems so fired up all the time, uh, mirroring what he was as a player, uh, fitness fanatic, and he's probably still among the most fit people in the whole Carolina organization, even though he's their head coach. But uh, on the Florida side, certainly I got to talk about the fact that this team employed the most choking forecheck that I've seen in a long time, and that's been their signature piece to get by two of the top four teams in the NHL. Let's not lose sight of that. They've upset two of the top four teams in the regular season. They're tasked with doing it again a third time with against Carolina, the top-seeded team that remains in the entire uh, postseason landscape. So they, they have the, the roadmap. Can they execute it again? I wonder. And we'll get to the specifics why they may or may not later. But the makeup of this roster is, again, one that, that uses three pretty good forward lines. Alexander Barkov centering Anthony Duclair and Carter Verhage. Look at Duclair and Verhage. Uh, were both reclamation projects that have worked out very, very well in Florida. They were not successful in prior stops in their career, but certainly have found homes and have a chance to have had a chance to show exceptional offensive skills on display, working with Alexander Barkov on what, what is a formidable first line. The second line is a nasty bit of business with two tough guys to play with who are excellent power forwards in Sam Bennett and Matthew Tuchuk. Tuchuk, maybe the leader of this team on and off the ice, a real good first year in Florida after the trade from Cat. Calgary last year. Nick Cousins rounding out this this group. Cousins, credit to him, he's emerged as a top six player after playing a bottom six role for much of his career and really finding Florida to his liking. Throw. So fully three of their top six forwards that, that weren't top six players elsewhere have really found their groove here to solidify uh, their roles as scoring wingers and centers on, on the Florida Panthers. And the third line, Anton Lundell, a good face-off guy and a real good checker. Sam Reinhardt, also another tough guy with some scoring ability too. And E2 Louis Doreinen, a third guy that has emerged on that unit to be a pretty decent third line uh, that you can use for checking and to get some scoring out of them. A couple of these guys get looks on the second power play as well. So that speaks to the quality and depth that they have on offense and really all of these guys can forecheck like heck, and they did so in the first two rounds in the playoffs. They'll be tasked to do it again. Uh, the fourth line has the veteran Eric Stahl, Zach Dalpe, and Colin White. They're, uh, White and Stahl, very experienced player. Dalpe, not quite so much, but uh, a credible fourth line, I'll say. And uh, Stahl, uh, far from being the top scorer that he was earlier in his career, but still has a real head for the game, a good high hockey IQ. So, uh, again, uh, a real good-looking forward set. I don't think we've seen the best of them offensively in these playoffs yet, but certainly on the defensive side of the puck, they have made life miserable, and that's their task in this series as well, to do the same against a, a Carolina club that may not be the, among the most physical in the league, and that could be an interesting uh, aspect to watch in this series. On the back end, Florida is really lucky to have three talented offensive-minded defensemen so much so that one of the Marion Eckblad has kind of shelved the offensive side of his game to allow Gustav Forsling to flourish as a, a real good top pairing where Eckblad one, uh, is still one of the top two-way defensemen in the game, but really has highlighted his defensive skills 
more than the offensive side, and they're considerable. So a real good top pairing there. Brandon Montour anchoring the power play alongside Mark Stahl, a, a tough guy and a good defensive specialist who was near the end of his career, but certainly uh, still has lots of miles left to give. And then Radko Gudis, another nasty piece of business. He was a real headache for the Leafs and the Bruins before that. He really play is a heart and soul player, the kind of guy that you love to have on your team, but you absolutely hate this guy when you see him in an opposing sweater. And that's that's the way I felt right off the bat in that series. And and he really asserted himself all the way through. Josh Mahor and his partner on the third pairing. So good depth at forward on defense. We already talked, I already talked at length about Sergei Bobrovsky, an outstanding playoff run. He's backed by Alex Lyon, who had a, a look-see in a couple of games in the Boston series uh, as a real good insurance policy. So maybe the best one-two punch in the Nets that, that we have remaining in the postseason. And uh, I hope wonder if Bobrovsky falters at all in this series, how soon we might see Alex Lyon, because Bobrovsky, as I said, we've said, has been on a real good run. But if it comes to a close, how quick will the hook be? That might be something to watch in this set. AJ, I'll leave it to you to give us the ultimate pick that you have, and I'll echo my choice. Well, uh, one thing we also forgot to mention here is uh, that I totally blanked on is it's the uh, Battle of the Stahl Brothers in this one. We've got uh, you know Jordan on, on one side, Eric and Mark on the other, and uh, the irony possibly of Eric Stahl knocking <clears throat> – the Hurricanes out of the playoffs after having played 12 years for them, including their only other Stanley Cup win in franchise history. So uh, if they win it again this year, they're going to have to figure something out because they'll be two for two with a stall brother. Maybe they need to bring Mark in and get him one uh, and just get all three of them one. So uh, looking at this, you know, uh, I can see your pick, Paul. And I thought about going the other way just because I, I need three uh, three victories to take it here. But I, I have to agree not to give your pick away, but I Carolina in five, I, I think they win. This is the one team that's been playing really well at home this postseason. We've seen a lot of road games, um, but they, they get the first two at home. If they steal one in Florida, um, you know, I, I just don't see how they – you know, can't take Florida in this one. The net mining has been phenomenal. We could see a lot of like one, nothing two one. Like I would take the under in every single one of these games um, because of these two net miners here, but Carolina is too deep. They've got too much talent throughout the roster. Uh, I just see them uh, being really stout at home. So I, I like Carolina in five here. AJ, uh, you tipped my hand. I'm on Carolina as well. You mentioned also the home ice uh, situation in favor in Carolina. The storm surge is is something that gives them the edge over most uh, of, well, I'll say all, all the other teams in this set, maybe with the exception of Vegas. They have a pretty lively crowd too. But Carolina's home ice advantage should be considerable in this set. Florida, not so much. We didn't see much of that in the, in the first couple of rounds. But I, I just think that the rabbit fan base in, in Raleigh is something that shouldn't be overlooked and un, or undersold in this set. Uh, Carolina always plays really well at home. And, uh, well, Florida has won so, so many road games, but they'll, they'll have a tough task doing that in Carolina in this set. That'll go a long way to determining the outcome. I, I think they will have met their match, too, in terms of the ability of the three mobile defensemen in Carolina's set up to get away from the, the difficult forecheck that I highlighted that Florida features. 
So that'll be something to watch too. I don't, I don't expect Carolina to have as much difficulty as the Bruins and the Leafs both did. And so that goes a long way in terms of my prediction that I echo your thoughts too and say it's going to be Carolina in five in that set too. So uh, we're on side in that series and uh, maybe the end of the, one of the Cinderella stories in these playoffs with the Florida Panthers. But uh, I'm sure there are people out there thinking this might be a team of destiny. I, you and I just don't think so. So is the way I'll summarize it. They'll meet their match in the, the team that really has been built to go far in these playoffs. And despite a couple of injuries, I think Carolina should roll. So, AJ, we're left now to talk about what other things might be in the news. We certainly have, uh, in the re- recent rearview mirror, the draft lottery result. You want to speak to that and how the first two uh, picks shake out and maybe the top five overall? Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll see Chicago uh, won uh, the lottery here. They, they jumped up from third um, to first, which, unfortunately, for the Ducks, uh, knocked them out of the Jared Bednar uh, or Connor Bednar series, rather, um, Bedard. I got to say that right. Connor Bedard. Yep. Um, there's no N in there. I, no. I want to make it sound like the coach. Um, <laughs> but uh, they'll still get a fantastic player. You know, uh, they'll have their choice. I saw a number of things talking about the last time Anaheim had the highest chances to win the draft lottery and lost was the Sidney Crosby lottery. Correct. So. Things don't work out too well <laughs> for Anaheim sometimes. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Columbus will have a, a, a nice high pick here. San Jose gets fourth, Montreal five. So most of that we knew, right? Uh, you know, just two teams win the lottery, everything else based on the rankings. So, um, you know, we knew that Anaheim would fall no worse than three. Um, they, they hang on to the two spot there. I saw a lot of people upset that the Chicago wins. Uh, I, you know, I texted a buddy of mine, uh, hell of a way to retool from selling, you know, caves and cane, essentially weaving and, and going into the future. And then you get this guy right away. So uh, their retool might be on the fly and a little faster than, uh, than it otherwise was expected to be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think overall um, good results for, for Chicago um, but all accounts are this is a pretty deep draft pool, uh, which is why I wouldn't be surprised when we were talking Seattle to see them potentially package up two of those second rounders, try and get back in the first round uh, and, and maybe improve uh, their roster that much quicker. So we'll, we'll see. We got a couple, uh, you know, a couple like a month here or so, give or take until the draft. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, Connor Bedard, AJ, I don't know how much you got a chance to see this guy, but he could be a real phenom based on what I've seen and what I've heard about his junior career with late uh, late trade to the Regina Pats and had an outstanding World Junior Championship. Uh, really, really talented offensive piece. Some people are saying he could be Connor McDavid light. I mean, uh, he's much smaller and slightly more slightly built, but the offensive skills are there big time. And the number two pick to Anaheim, isn't kind of a booby prize either, AJ. Adam Fantilli is a guy who uh, played out of the University of Michigan and is a re- is a guy that was uh, wasn't he the Holy Baker winner, AJ? I think he was. And uh, so so 
that's a quality guy that they're getting there in Anaheim to be adding to the mix of young stars that they have in that lineup. It won't be long, I don't think, before that team finally gets it right and fields a contender. But the team that I feel for is the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is a team that really is in need of a signature piece. And I would have liked to have seen them win the lottery to get that player, to put them back on the hockey map. As it is, they got a third third choice overall. You said it's a deep draft. And there are a number of people that are vying for that position that, that have the qualities that, you know, in another year they would have made, made first pick overall. So it's not like it's a, a bad news situation for Columbus, but it could have been turned out so much better. And then just for the fans of our clubs, to, for me to note, Pittsburgh drafting fifth, 14th overall and the Leafs uh, taking Boston's pick and uh, will draft 28th overall. I wonder if they'll hold on to that or they have to trade it away to get rid of Matt Murray. Well, that's another story. And, uh, a tease to a few storylines that we may have more information on when we talk to you guys in the next couple of weeks after this series is done. Our custom is to preview every series once, once the previous round is over, we'll be doing the same thing up next when the Stanley cup final begins, AJ, your final thoughts before we sign off for the next couple of weeks here. Yeah, just, uh, you know, a little surprise that we're going to have a couple days off before the series starts up, but I'm guessing the NHL decided uh, weekend games was probably better uh, than during the week. Uh, so, you know, we'll wait. We'll wait patiently, and we'll be ready to go. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I, I think uh, both series project to be uh, awesome battles. If I, you know, obviously I've got Vegas, Carolina as my as my two teams that will make the 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 playoff or the uh, Stanley cup final here, which would be an awesome battle as well. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah. I got Dallas and Carolina and uh, the, the quality of the coaching that remains in this, these playoffs is, is really something that might be a telltale sign that other teams need to look at for the best coaches in hockey remain. And uh, as a result, their teams got here and it'll be interesting to see who emerges from these two rounds. You said that are interesting matchups. I think one of them is going to be very lopsided. I think you agree. But uh, don't sell the Florida Panthers short completely. They've been the story of the playoffs in terms of beating the Giants, and uh, I don't want to. I don't want to discount that aspect at all. But uh, something to look forward to in the next couple of weeks, the way these things will play out. We will be back to you when we know the teams that qualify for the Stanley Cup play- final, and we'll also have other storylines that emerge over the next couple of weeks with with the news brewing and about 28 other hockey markets here in the NHL. So again, thanks for listening to Rotowire's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Please note that our next episode come, will come as soon as we know that uh, Stanley Cup final is set. As always, we remind you that we're here to help you with your all, all things relating to your enjoyment of fantasy hockey. We encourage you to send your comments or questions on Twitter, where you can follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJSholes24. So long, everybody. Thank you very much for listening.